everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, everyone. Hi, my name is Dina Landers. I am visiting with you today all the way from Florida. The house I'm staying in, I'm staying with some friends. They have a Google Home. And so I was talking to their Google Home this morning. I like talking to robots. And um, I asked, I was like, hey, Google. It's like, doo-doo. What's the, what's the weather outside? And she says something crazy like 36 degrees. And I'm like, oh my goodness. How do I put on everything I brought in my suitcase? And then she just pauses for a moment. She goes, wind chill of negative 1,000. And I was just like, what do I do? In my part of the country, winter is over. Okay, so I just want you to know, you are all survivors in my eyes. You are all so brave. Okay, it is an honor to be here with you today. Um, like I said... I'm all the way from Florida. I'm from like the north part of Florida. It's like the armpit of the state um, in Tallahassee. If you've been there, you know it feels kind of like an armpit. It's just hot and sticky and all of those things. Um, I go to a church there. I'm on staff at a church called Engage Church. Some of you might know our fearless leader, Pastor Adrian. I believe he's visiting next week. He's awesome. Um, I work on staff with a bunch of other people. They're also incredible. They've become some of my best friends over the year. Over the years, um, my title there is culture architect. I am married to a wonderful man. His name is Austin. He is a firefighter by day and by night also. And uh, he also serves on our worship team at Engage. And together we have a tiny human. Um, he is 10 months old. Oh, he's so cute, right? Um, he just started walking this week. No, don't awe that. That is not cute, okay? We were not prepared for that at all. I, every time he stood up, I just kept like pushing him down. I think it fueled something in him. He's like, oh, I'm going to walk now. You just, he's that kind of guy. You can't do it. Oh, watch me. So we'll see what happens with him. But those are, those are my guys. I love them. And today I have the incredible privilege of preaching this next message in long story short. And it is all about this idea of the covenant. So central topic to the Bible. Um, Hopefully we all learn a little bit more about it today. I know I did in preparing for this. So before we go any further, I'd like us to pray together. So if you'd please bow your heads with me. God, I thank you for this privilege of gathering together as your people in this place, God. We know that it is not by accident that everyone is here today, but by divine appointment. And God, we believe that you have something to speak to each heart in this room. God, give us ears to hear, God. Open our hearts to receive what you have for us today, God. We come to you with great expectation. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Um, All right, so if you've got your Bible with you, you can open up to Deuteronomy chapter 29. If not, it'll be on the screens. Um, A little bit of context before we jump into the scripture. We're going to start in chapter 1. I mean, uh, in verse 1, chapter 29, a little bit of context. Deuteronomy is a book of sermons. So Moses is speaking these sermons to the Israelite people. Um, Most of us kind of are familiar with the story of Moses. Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt. This is how I picture Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like one of those MMA guys that's got like a really tiny voice. So Moses, let my people go. Pharaoh, no, you can't have them. Let my people go. Plague, boom, boom, boom. God brings all these plagues. Moses, this is is in the scriptures, right? Boom, boom, boom. God... uh, takes Moses, uses him, leads the Israelites out of Egypt, parts the Red Sea for them. Israelites walk through. Pharaoh, I changed my mind. We're coming back. Water crashes down. 
Egyptian army swallowed. Moses is now wandering around in the desert, leading these very disobedient Israelite people for about 40 years. Okay, now someone did a Google map on that. What took them 40 years should have taken them 11 days, okay? So that's a sermon on disobedience and the importance of obedience. We're not going to touch on that today. You can just tuck that away for later, okay? 11 days, 40 years, 11. Anyway, 40 years, 11 days. So here's Moses, right? And this is toward the end of the book of Deuteronomy. This is one of Moses' last sermons to the people. They're in the land of Moab. They're about to, to cross over into the promised land. They're going into Canaan, right? And so Moses is like, all right, he's not getting into the promised land. Moses dies before he gets to the promised land. Um, but he is like, okay, this is my, my last words I'm giving to these people. You can almost picture someone kind of like on their deathbed. What Moses is about to say could be the last thing he says to them. This is extremely, extremely important. So he's kind of like, come in close. I've got something to tell you. And so the title of this week kind of gives it away what he's going to talk to them about, right? He's going to talk to them about covenants. So we can pick it up right there. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 29. We're going to start off. In verse 1 says, These are the terms of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites while they were in the land of Moab, in addition to the covenant he had made with them on Mount Sinai. Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them, You have seen with your own eyes everything the Lord did in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to his whole country, all the great tests of strength and miraculous signs and the amazing wonders. But to this day the Lord has not given you minds that understand, nor eyes that see, nor ears that hear. For 40 years, not 11 days, I led you through the wilderness yet. Your clothes and your sandals did not wear out. You ate no bread and drank no wine or other alcoholic drink, but he provided for you so that you would know that he is the Lord your God. When we came here, King Sion of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan came out to fight against us, but we defeated them. We took their land and gave it to uh, the tribes of Reuben and Gad and to the half-tribe of Manasseh as their grant of land. Therefore, obey the terms of this covenant so that you will prosper in everything you do, all of you, tribal leaders, elders, officers, all the men of Israel are, you, are standing today with your wives. They're with you as well as the foreigners living among you who chop your wood and carry your water. You are standing here today to enter into the covenant of the Lord your God. The Lord is making this covenant, including the curses. By entering into the covenant today, he will establish you as his people and confirm that he is your God, just as he promised you as, uh, and as he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right, so Moses is talking to them about making this covenant, saying, all right, this is super, super important. Before you go into this promised land, before you go, remember the covenant. You're making a covenant today. This is so important. Now, we read that to make a covenant. Moses is talking to them about making a covenant. The original Hebrew text puts it a little bit differently. Uh, the original Hebrew says karat barut, which literally means to cut a covenant. So Moses is talking about cutting this covenant. Now, what is this covenant he's cutting with them? Great question. I'm glad you asked. Get this. Moses is cutting a covenant with them to keep a previous covenant. I'm promising to keep my promise. We're going to make a covenant here to keep a previous covenant. So, all right, I'm curious. What is this previous covenant you're referring to, Moses? Well, that brings us to Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. A uh, little thing known as the Ten Commandments. Most of us are pretty familiar with them. We're going to read through those really quickly. Um, 
Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. Love that one. Uh, Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not covet. So this is the original covenant, right, that God had made with the Israelite people. And Moses is saying, all right, you're going into this new land. Remember this covenant. It's so important that we're going to make a new covenant. We're going to cut a new covenant so that you remember to keep this old covenant. There are curses that come with this covenant if you do not keep it. And there are blessings. You need to remember this covenant. Moses is making an emphatic statement here. Now, Before we go any further, okay, culturally, we're not super familiar with, like, covenants, right? I don't really work in covenants that often. I'm pretty familiar with contracts, though, right? Like, you sign a lot of contracts, things like that. Um, So we're going to use that idea of a contract to kind of understand what a covenant is. A covenant is like a contract and then some. So it's like contract, covenant, okay? So up here. Um, I researched some legal definitions because I was really curious, okay, what's the difference here? How does this operate in modern society? So legally, I'm going to tell you the difference between a contract and a covenant. A contract is an agreement between parties, while a covenant is a pledge. A contract is an agreement you can break, while a covenant is a perpetual promise. A contract is signed, a covenant is sealed. A contract is a mutually beneficial relationship, while a covenant is something you fulfill. A contract exchanges one good for another, while a covenant is giving oneself to the other. A contract has opt-out clauses, while a covenant is about having the strength to hold up your end of the promise. One can stop paying in a contract when one party is not fulfilling their part of the deal. However, in a covenant, the party not getting their needs met supports the failing party so that they can meet their obligations. Okay, so both things outline relationships very different in how they work. So probably the most ex- uh, obvious example of covenant that a lot of us are used to is a marriage covenant, right? Like some people have been married in the room. I'm from a raise your hands kind of church. So been married in the room if you're married. Yeah, okay. Co- been to a wedding, been a part of a wedding, watched a wedding on TV. Those of you who have not raised your hands, I know you've seen a wedding on TV, okay? So we're familiar with this, right? Like the bride and the groom, they stand up in front of a crowd of witnesses and they say their vows to one another. They, they make this covenant for one another. And um, my husband and I, Austin, we, we wrote our vows and we didn't share them with each other until we got to the altar. And I've got a couple of them I wanted to share with you today. So I think I was, I was on this, I was on this side. This is where the bride stands. So I was here, I think, right? Okay. I was here and um, I started something like this in my sweetest voice. I, Dina Carlin, Agree to legally change my name to Dina Landers within 30 days after the marriage ceremony. (laughs) Subsequently, I, Dina Landers, agree to cook three to four times a week, subject to Clause 2 that stipulates that Austin Landers must henceforth take out the trash and relieve Dina of any countertop cleaning protocols. No, right? Those were not my vows, okay? Thank goodness my husband would have looked at me like I had two heads. People in the audience, they had been super confused. Our vows look something like... I vow to to stand by you in sickness or in health, and I vow to stand by you for better or for worse, right? That makes sense. We didn't use contract language. We used covenant language. Now, since marriage covenants seem to be like the most familiar type of covenant we have in modern-day society, I did a little research um, about marriage and millennials. So if you're in here and you're thinking you're not a millennial, if you are between the ages of 23 to 38, 
This is talking about you. I did not know I was a millennial. I thought I was born in the 80s, so I like was not welcome to the club. I am a millennial. Some of you, you're like, cool. Some of you are like, I can't. I had to rethink everything now. So hopefully this is good news. Welcome to the club. Okay, so in 2014, Gallup did a population poll, and their data revealed that just 20% of millennials under the age of 30 are married. Now, you can compare that with 48% of the baby boomers and 65% of the traditionalists, which was the generation before them. That's a lot less, 20%, 65%. And the poll found that 80% of those millennials who were single or never married wanted to get married someday. A quote from this research says, millennials are clearly delaying marriage. They, they just threw in clearly, like, mm. They're clearly delaying marriage longer than any generation before them, in spite of evidence suggesting that many millennials intend to marry at some point. Well, what does it tell us? Okay, it tells us we're a little scared of commitment, right? And um, it also tells us that millennials, we still want covenant. We want that covenant relationship. And we see that the generations before us did too, Right? Okay, so we want these relationships, but we're not having them. There's something deep inside of, of uh, as us as humans that says, okay, I want this type of relationship that doesn't have an opt-out clause. But so, so many of us are used to these relationships, something like this. Um, two people are together, and they say, you know, I'll be who I need to, the, to be to the extent that you're going to be who you need to be. And as soon as you stop being who you need to be, I'm out, right? Like this relationship serves me. Okay, um, my wants, my needs, my desires, those are all really important. And if I have to, like, sacrifice for you, I don't think that's, that's really what I want to do. Um, that's not going to work for me. I choose my friends. I choose my job. I choose my church. All kind of surrounding what I want. All kind of surrounding my needs, okay? We treat things that should be really beautiful covenants like really basic contracts, um, now hear me, okay? There's a time and a place for contracts, right? Anyone have a phone before iPhones? Yeah, okay, again, I'm, I come from a church where you raise your hand, so, okay, some of you, cool. There's like the, the Nokia brick phone, or like the Razor phone, or the Sidekick. Some of you are like, what are these words? I've never heard this. I had, um, I had a Nextel phone. Yeah, okay. So those of you who don't know what a Nextel looks like, kind of looked like this, right? A little smaller. Um, didn't have a, a window in the front, so you'd like flip it open, and there was like a two-by-two two, little black and green screen, and you could customize it. It said my name. Actually, it said baby girl. It was a long time ago. You open it, boom, baby girl, there I am. Okay, and then you wanted to make a call, you'd like open the antenna. Your phone would be like this long. You're like, okay, here I am. Uh, clip it to the outside of your jeans. That was really cool. And then in the middle of the most awkward situations, you'd be like in a movie, and it'd be the silent part, and all of a sudden, chirp, chirp. Next, I thought it would be great to actually make a phone that was also a walkie-talkie. So all of a sudden, chirp, chirp, Dina, when are you coming home? Oh, my gosh, Mom, you're embarrassing me. I'm with my friends. I'm at the movies. Okay. I had a contract with Nextel. Thank goodness it was not a covenant. You'd all be using your iPhones, doing cool things, and I'd still be playing like Pong and Tetris on my Nextel. Okay, there is a time and a place for covenants and contracts. Now, some of our relationships should be contracts, and some of our relationships should be covenants. Now, when I enter into a covenant, I'm saying, I promise to be who I need to be regardless of how you react in this situation. I'm promising to uphold my end regardless of how you uphold your end. Now, before my husband and I got married, I was talking to my friend Kevin McKenzie. He's the youth minister at Aletheia Church in Boston, um, and he calls me Deanie. So he's like, Deanie, 
He performed our wedding ceremony and all of that. So he's like, Deanie, before you get married, um, I know you're probably going to say something like for better or for worse, but what about for worse or for worse? Like, what if everything that bothers you about Austin and, and everything that bothers Austin about you only got worse? Wh- what? Nothing is going to get worse. We're only going to get better, right? Like, marriage is that line on the graph that goes up and to the right. Like, as soon as I get married, my anger issues, all my little jealousy things, like magic wand, poof, you are now kind, you are now gentle, you are now me. I was like, well, we're not going to get worse. He said, Deanie. What if everything got worse? Would you still be able to be who you needed to be in this marriage covenant if this man only got worse? Now hear me, he's great. Like little things we're talking about here. Like he loves God, not talking about if he stopped loving God or if he started like hitting me or something. Like that's different. But if this man, like he, he's kind of messy. What if he just becomes a tornado, right? Like are you still gonna be able to love him the way you're promising, you're vowing to love him? I really had to think about that. For worse or for worse? We went through with it, right? Like, it's going good. It's, it's for better or for worse. It's not just for worse or for worse. But man, sometimes we get disillusioned, right? Like single people, you can ask your married friends. If you're thinking of entering into a covenant with someone, especially a marriage covenant, and there's some things that you're like, mm, that will not work for me long term, but I think I can fix it. You need to know people don't change, okay? Like, hear me, if you're an extrovert, you're going to probably be an extrovert your whole life. If you're marrying someone who's an introvert and you're like, oh, when I marry them, they're going to like hang out with me. They're going to become an extrovert. You are setting yourself up for disappointment. We grow in little ways. Like I can become more sacrificial. I can become more loving and more kind. But who you are at your core, that will not change. Okay, so heads up. That's not anything to do with today, but that's important to know. Okay, so um, (laughs) rabbit trail. In a, the point is that in a covenant, both parties need to say, I will hold up my end of the relationship. This relationship, me loving you, this is built on love, is more important than my wants and my needs getting met. I am after your wants. I am after your needs. I am willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to make this covenant work. A covenant is not a consumer relationship. It is much more deep. It is much more profound. Now, putting it simply, a contract is a relationship built on laws and contingencies, while a covenant is built on a mixture of law and love together. Now, our most glorious relationships are covenantal relationships. Finally, getting to the point of the sermon, right? Okay, covenant relationships. God always relates to his people in covenant. So how does this look? I want us to look back at verses 12 and 13 in Deuteronomy. Verses 12 and 13, right at the end of that little bit that we read earlier, says, You are standing here today to enter into the covenant of the Lord your God. The Lord is making this covenant, including the curses. By entering into this covenant today, he will establish you just as he swore to your ancestors. Okay, that's a little confusing. There's, um, there's curses if I don't keep the covenant, but also, God, you're, you're promising to establish me as your people. So if I hold up these Ten Commandments, you will establish me, right? But if I don't, then I get the curses? This seems kind of contradictory, right? Like, what, so, so covenants have terms and conditions. They're, they're more than a contract, but they're not less. There are penalties. The Bible is filled with God saying, I cannot bless a disobedient people 
But it's also filled with God saying, I will never leave or forsake you. So which, which, all right, I'm a little bit confused. Which is it, right? So like what extent do I need to uphold this covenant so that I'll get the blessings, but I don't, I don't want the curses. Sorry, I feel like I keep doing the curses on this side of the room. I don't want the curses, right? How do I get the blessings? Uh, some of you, you're hearing this and you're like, okay, I hear what she's saying. And I know, I know that God is very loving and God is very merciful. But at the end of the day, if I do not uphold the covenant, then God will not bless me. I will get the curses. And, and some of you are hearing me and you're thinking, well, yes, the law is important and these Ten Commandments and all these things, these are important, but ultimately God wants to bless me and it doesn't really matter how well I uphold this government, how I, how I view them. On one side, you've got uh, moralism saying it's, it's all about how you respond to the covenant and on the other side, you have relativism talking about it's just your, your, how you feel, right? You've got the modern-day modern Pharisee saying it's all about your actions and the modern-day Sadducee saying it's all about how you feel and both are completely missing the heart of God. So, so which is it, right? <laughs> well, God, you've, you've sworn to bless me and you've sworn not to bless a disobedient people. All right, I want to look back again. Just keep going back. This is when we've got questions. Go back to the scripture again. Second half of verse 13. He will establish you as his people and confirm that he is your God just as he promised you and as he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay. What did he promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Next question. We're going to go to Genesis 15. A lot of scripture today. Genesis 15 to find out what he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Genesis 15 opens up with um, God pretty much making all of these promises to Abram. He wasn't Abraham yet. He was Abram. Uh, God did not change his name yet. So he's saying, Abram, I promise I'm going to bless you with, with descendants, and I'm going to bless you with land, and I'm going to keep all these promises to you. And we pick it up in uh, verse 8. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? How can I be sure of these promises, God? How, how do I know you're making these promises, but how can I be sure that, that you're going to keep them? And then God responds in verse 9. The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, a young pigeon, five golden rings, right? I can't sing. Sorry. That was my, my best voice for you. Uh, so Abram presented all these to him and killed them. I'm a vegan, so this is anytime God's killing animals, I'm like, okay, God, your ways are higher than my ways. Okay. Um, then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the half side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. Okay, so the Bible is filled with some strange things sometimes. I, maybe for you, I don't know how things go down in Indiana. Maybe this is normal. You're like, I know what's happening here. 
not used to that at all, right? Like, what, why are you taking all these animals? Why do you have this, like, mini Noah's Ark collected? And why are you cutting all these animals in half and laying them side by side? Maybe, like, in Gainesville, that's a Florida joke, in Gainesville they do this, okay? Um, some, all right, yeah, we don't like the gators here either. My kind of people. Okay, so, um, sorry if I offended anybody. Um, so, you've got God telling Abram, take these animals, cut them in half, it's got to be bloody, right? I don't know what kind of saws or things they had then, so there's blood everywhere. Cut them in half and lay half on this side and half on this side facing each other, right? So the, the halves are facing each other kind of makes like a really bloody aisle way. I hope you're getting what I'm, none of you are like queasy, okay? You're getting this picture. So probably doesn't smell great. It's probably super messy and all the animals are separated except the pigeons didn't cut those. So they're here and... Um, Abram wasn't confused by this. Abram knew exactly what God was doing. Okay, so um, at that time, if there was a king or a ruler or a lord of a land, and he wanted to make a covenant with, with a lesser, anyone was lesser than him, so like a, a servant, a common person, uh, anybody else, a, a, like some peon, right? Um, if the lord of the land wanted to make a covenant with this person, this would be what they did. They would take the animals, they would separate them, and the servant, the Lord, the Lord would stand somewhere far off. He would never, ever, 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 ever walk down that aisle. The servant would make the oath. The servant would walk down that aisle. And as he would walk down the aisle, he would say the oath. And it was a very vivid picture symbolizing that original Hebrew language we looked at, karat barut, to cut a covenant. It was cutting a covenant. And it was a very visual picture of what would happen to that servant if he ever broke the covenant. He was basically saying, let it be unto me as it has been unto these animals if I ever, ever do not keep my promise to you, Lord. So the Lord would stand off, the servant would walk through and make the covenant. And so Abram's thinking, okay, I mean, I don't know what Abram was thinking. This is what I think he was thinking. He's thinking, okay, I've laid out everything for the covenant. The Lord has asked me to do this. Okay, I'll just wait for God to tell me when to walk through and what to say. I'm going to make a covenant with God. That is how he's going to keep his promises to me. And Abram's good with that, right? Like, I like these promises. I want to, I want to seal this covenant. Okay, God. But then we, we're in Genesis, and we pick it right back up after Abram does all of that. Verse 12. As the sun was going down... Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Jump down to verse 17. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, similar to the smoke and the fire, right, that was going to be leading the Israelites around the desert. He saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. What is Abram seeing here? God is passing through the pieces. The, the Lord never walked through the covenant. Abram Abram's probably thinking to himself, what is happening? I'm the servant. I should have been walking through. Abram is seeing a picture of God 
promising to bless Abram. God is saying, Abram, if I ever break my promise to bless you, let it be done to me what has happened to these animals. Let me be torn apart, Abram, if I ever break my promise to you. God is cutting the covenant with Abram. And Abram, he's never asked to go through the pieces. Abram is never even asked to take the oath and why. God is making the promise for both of them. God is saying, not only, Abram, if you don't keep your, if I don't keep my end of the promise, but also, if Abram, if you don't keep your end of the promise, let it be done to me as it has happened to these animals. Let me die, Abram, if you break your promise. And God knew, right? God knew when he made this covenant that Abram and every single descendant after him would in some way break this covenant. This was a great foreshadowing of what was to come. Every man, every woman in history would all fall short except for one. God was saying, I will bless you no matter what the price is to me, no matter what the cost. Abram, I'm going to keep my covenant with you. Galatians 3, verse 13 and 14 But Christ has rescued us from the curse, of the, uh, the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through him. What happened on the day that Jesus was crucified? God was fulfilling his covenant. God fulfilled his promise to be cut into pieces, to die when we did not hold up our end of the covenant. God fulfilled his promise to sacrifice his immortality to come to earth as a mortal, to live a mortal life, right? Fully God, fully man in the man Jesus and to die the death that we should have died. At the crucifixion, historians say that it was the darkest day in history. Abram fell asleep and a terrible darkness covered him. On Calvary, a terrible darkness came over the land. God took his glory and let it be drowned out in darkness so that through the covenant he could bless us. Now remember our question about the covenant, right? Like, are the blessings conditional or are they unconditional? And the answer is yes. On the cross, Jesus fulfilled the conditions of the covenant so that God could love us unconditionally. With his perfect life, Jesus fulfilled the curse so that the blessing was left for you and for me, and for anyone else who asked for it. On the cross, Jesus looked at, he looked at me, and he looked at you, and he said, for worse or for worse, I will love you for worse or for worse. God knew that this covenant would tear him to pieces. And until you understand this covenantal truth, you're gonna live your life on one end or the other, thinking 
It's all about how I, how I uphold this covenant. Every time I, I mess up, I can't go to church. I can't worship. I can't lift my hands. I can't pray. I can't read my Bible. I'm under the weight of this covenant. I'm under the curses of this covenant. There's no way God wants to bless me. And you're walking around in perpetual condemnation. And then some of you in the room will end up believing the law doesn't matter. I want a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't, I don't want to give up these things, right? God, God only looks at the inside, right? And, and it's all about how I feel. And you throw off the covenant altogether. And you miss that it costs God everything to fulfill that covenant. God fulfilled the covenant completely. So we're not under the curse, but we're not, we're not free from his laws and his love. There is a perfect tension of law and love. It says, okay, I will flee from sin. I will do everything I can to stay away from it. But when I fail, oh, there's no condemnation for he who is in Christ Jesus. I am still loved. I am still accepted. I am still his because Jesus fulfilled the covenant. Now, I know we talked a lot about marriage covenants today, but those aren't the only covenants in the Bible. There are covenant friendships, covenant relationships. You can look at David and Jonathan and Ruth and Naomi. Understanding this covenant should lead us into covenant relationships, covenant friendships. My friend I mentioned earlier, uh, Kevin McKenzie, his wife Kelsey and I were covenant friends. We became Christians around the same time and we said, all right, we're going to walk through this thing together. No matter, no matter what happens to you, I'm going to be there to help pull you through. I'm going to take you kicking and screaming back to Jesus, right? Whatever it takes, I'm here. I'm not letting go of you. And we've gone to the mat for each other. That is what a real friendship looks like. Some of you have covenant friendships that you've walked away from, and you need to go repent. That was your covenant friend. And, and some of us, we, we look at friendships, and I've done this. I've looked at relationships. Okay, what can I get out of this? How can this person serve me? We're always talking about me. I'm always talking about my issues. I've never sacrificed for you. I've never sacrificed for this relationship. Covenant relationships are sacrifice. Some of us, we look at church that way. We've never actually become a member at a church. We just come on Sundays, and, and we never serve. It's not an opt-out clause. Sacrificing your time, your talents, and your treasure. This is not a contract. Spiritual family is a covenant. Find a church that you can make a covenant with. Don't church, I like the worship here, and I like the Bible study here, and, and I get fed here, right? Like, that's not how it works. Spiritual family, you come together, you walk through hard things together. It's a covenant, it's a sacrifice, it's not a contract, it's not an option, it is not disposable. God's heart is to relate to his people through covenant. That has always been his heart. That will always be his heart. And today I want us to, to examine our lives and, and look at what relationships have you been treating? Have I been treating like contracts when we know they should be covenants? I felt so convicted writing this. Sometimes I treat my marriage like it's a contract. Oh, he didn't, he didn't uh, fill up the cars with gas? Nope, not folding his laundry, not doing it. no. I love you. I'm going to do this regardless. Go, now, please go fill up the car with gas, right? Like, please, please uphold your hand to the covenant. Make it easier for me, please. Like, for, for better or for worse, for worse or for worse. What relationships are you treating like a contract? Even, even a little deeper, how, how do you view God? What is your relationship with God? Is it a contract? If I act this way, then I get the blessings of God. If I mess up, God doesn't want to bless me. He doesn't want to hear from me today. I'm not going to pray to him. 
Is it a covenant? Is it conditional? How do you view God? God always relates to his people in covenant, and that is the truth that we need to know today. That's all I've got, so if you'd please bow your heads with me and pray. God, I thank you so much that you are not a contract, God, that is not how we perform, but God, you love us, that you made the promise for both of us, God. I thank you, God, because I know that I fail, but I thank you that there is no condemnation when I do. God, I thank you that it pleases you when we confess our sins to one another, God. God, I thank you that it pleases you, that, it, that when we sin, we, we turn back to you and there is grace for that. God, I thank you. The Bible says that it pleased you to crush Jesus so that you can be back in relationship with us so that we could come back to you and have access to you. God, I thank you for that truth today. God, I pray for any heart in here who has been disillusioned and believing that you are a contract, God. God, I pray that you would remove that from them today, God. I pray that they would understand the weight of this covenant and the beauty of this covenant, God. Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. God, I thank you. Thank you that I didn't walk through that aisle, but Jesus, you did. Thank you, Jesus, for cutting the covenant for me and for everyone in this room, God. And it's in your matchless and beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.